Hello, lovelies. Welcome to the Fat Joy Podcast, where we talk each week about how to flourish in an anti-fat world. I'm Sophia Apostle, a fat professional coach who loves talking to other fat people about what it's like to live within oppressive systems that marginalize our bodies and how we still dare to have the audacity and courage to reach towards our collective liberation and embrace our joy. Please know this is an adult content podcast, so there will be swears. We will be talking about harms we've experienced, and we will be rebelling against weight stigma, diet culture, fat phobia, ableism, racism, etc. You can get more Fat Joy goodness, including how you can support the podcast through my newsletter at fatjoy.substack.com. And for episode transcripts, book reviews, and show notes, head to the Fat Joy website at fatjoy.life. I am so glad you're here. Enjoy this episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Fat Joy podcast. I'm Sophia, and I have such an exciting episode today, one that I like, I don't know anything about this topic. And so I'm so excited to talk to my guest, whose name is Adrienne Briere. Hi, Adrienne. Hello. So content warning for this episode before we dive in. So Adrian is a funeral director. So we are going to be talking about death. We're going to be talking about remains. Um, we're going to be talking about what else, Adrian? Any other content warning? Like kind of how bodies are handled in yeah. death? Yeah. So if that does not feel like your cup of tea right now, <laughs> please turn us off. Come back later if it feels good. Just really caretake yourself because I think this can be, this can just, you know, be a sensitive topic. I will share one of the reasons I'm super interested in it is because until I saw a workshop that Adrian had done for NAFA, which, oh, okay, I'm going to get this. I keep trying. I literally practice this acronym because this organization does incredible work. It's the Na oh, National Association for the Advancement of Fat Acceptance. Did I get it? Yeah. Okay, good. I literally practice it like daily. I'm like, I love this organization. I need to know what this acronym is perfectly. So Adrian did a talk for NAFA. I saw like an Instagram post about it and I was like, oh, I never even thought about, like I know how fat bodies are treated differently in life. And honestly, it never occurred to me that they would be treated differently in death. But of course they are. And so... I tracked Adrian down <laughs> and was like, please come talk to me about this. I think this is fascinating and like important information for us to have so that we can plan for our deaths. So Adrian, tell us about who you are. And I'm just like so excited you're here. <laughs> I'm excited to be here. Uh, so I am, I'm almost 40. I know I don't look it, but I'm almost 40. I've been licensed for almost 14 years. Um, lived with my, my husband and our two kids, uh, both boys, Lord help me, um, <laughs> who are eight and four. And um, yeah, I, you know, people talk about the difference between a job and a career and Definitely, this is not a job for me. It's what I was meant to do. Uh, exactly zero people <laughs> who know me were shocked when I told them that this is the career field that I was going to pursue. And um, it's very rewarding, as weird as that sounds. 
you know, you get to meet a lot of really cool people, whether they're alive or whether they're dead. Yeah. Oh, so interesting. Well, and I imagine like you get to like support people through what is very likely a quite a difficult time in their lives. That's, I, th- I think, the biggest misnomer about funeral service as a general rule is everybody always comes to me and they're like, it must be so sad. I'm like, not all the time. Not all the time. There are definitely times where it is sad and it's somber and, and it has its moments. Um, there are more times than not that I'm walking out of the room and apologizing to the people around going, sorry, we're laughing so loud. Um, <laughs> but that's just how it's going. Um, <laughs> it's like the celebration piece. Is that what it is? Yeah, the celebration of life piece. That and it's also getting getting people comfortable. Yes. Getting people comfortable, especially if they've never done anything like this before. Everybody walks in assuming they're going to see, you know, the straight-laced older man and white hair and whatnot, and then they get me. <laughs> <laughs> or, or some of my colleagues. Like, it's not just me. Is is we have a similar, similar approach to it, where it's, you know, it's a necessary part of life. It is something that needs to be done and dealt with. And if we can make it a little bit easier for them, then we've done our job. Mm, That's beautiful. So let's talk about fatness. So what's your, so let's start with you first. Like what's your relationship to the word fat? I've, I personally, I've always been a little bit of a bigger boned girl, um, right from my early teenagehood. Um, and it's always just been, it's something I struggled with for a long, long time. And it's really only been since I've had kids that I've really embraced my body. Cause at this point I'm like, you know what? I have grown and had two children surgically extracted, extracted from my body. Everybody else can go away. Yeah. <laughs> I am comfortable in my own skin. <laughs> If you've got opinions, they're your problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that, and I imagine there's like also you're you're sharing that with your kids too. In that, yes. like not having it be like a diet focused household, and you know, like, no. yeah, no. With how crazy um, life can be, especially with my job thrown into it, mm-hmm. um, there are times where we're in one door and out the other very fast or I'm coming home late or I'm working a weekend and it is what it is. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Nice. Wow. So when it comes to your role and what happens with, I don't know, you're going to have to tell me the words for this because I don't know. Is it like for, for fat people who have died? Like what, what, what do we say even like just people like, is there an identifier for different size bodies that need to be, or that may need to be treated differently? No. And the thing is, is we, there's only certain instances where it comes up where it could potentially, I don't want to say use the word problem, but a consideration. Um, and I touched on this a little bit with, um, with the webinar with that, with NAFA. So like if somebody passes at home, we need to know A, where they are, B, how big they are. So we can send the appropriate amount of people in order to get that person out of the house, safe, everybody safely, 
and with dignity the best that we can and so if it is somebody who is you know three four plus hundred pounds we're going to need more more muscle more physical people to to do the work so um the other instance is when uh selecting a casket Mm. it's not about weight it's about measurement right so because you can have somebody who's six foot three and weighs 350 pounds but shoulder and elbow width they're fine they can fit into the standard casket or you can get somebody who is five foot nothing and 350 pounds we might need to look at something oversized it's all it's all relative yeah so yeah this is already this is so fascinating to me because what i'm thinking about a lot as i i imagine comes up is like so first of all there's like thinking about oh gosh how can what do i need to put in place for my eventual death as a fat person and also like if i you know i'm thinking also too about the 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 people who are making these calls who are choosing the caskets who are figuring things out so what if we start with ourselves so let's say i pass die um knock on wood i don't want to die right now um but let's say i did what are the things that while i'm alive i should be thinking about or doing because i am living in a fat body like is there like a checklist or are there things like what should i be doing now well it's the same thing really that everybody should be doing is okay you know, death is going to happen. There's nothing anybody can do to get around it. Take a look at your local funeral homes and what options you have. Talk to their pre-planners. Most funeral homes, if not all, have pre-planning directors, whereas I deal with families when the death occurs. So I've never even heard of that before. You you pre-plan. I love it. Okay. Yeah. And you can get your wishes down on paper. You can start paying for them. Um, and each province and each state is different. Like you and I are both in the same province. So with pre-planning, it, it gives you security mm-hmm. in terms of your arrangements. So that's something everybody honestly should do. It makes my job easier when the death does occur because I've got a file already started. I've already got a lot of the information that I need in order to fill out the paperwork and all the documentation. Yeah, pre-planning, huge. Mm. Absolutely huge. Yeah, and so when it comes to pre-planning and me making a decision about what do I want to do with my remains, when we had our first phone call, this is one of the first things I asked about because I've always thought I would love to donate my beautifully fat body to medical research so that they can stop being so goddamn, you know, fat phobic. And then I heard that they actually don't want my beautiful fat body. Some, some don't. There, there may be some that do. A good chunk of them don't, unfortunately. Um, they're very uh, particular when it comes to medical donation, the type of bodies that they take based on age, size, and what you died of and where you died. Oh, interesting. Where I died. Okay. Or yeah. I need to stop talking about my own death. Where someone died. <laughs> I'm creeping myself out. Yeah. And so like, 
that I, I just think about the implications of that. The fact that fatness is one of the things that can exclude you. Whereas if all the other circumstances being equal, if I was thin, my body would be accepted. Yeah. Yeah. To me, all I think about is, wow, way to perpetuate anti-fat bias. So fat bodies are not being, you know, practiced on in medical schools or wherever these donations, like I don't, I always say donate my body science, but I actually don't even know what that means or where I go. Like, what is that actually? <laughs> we, we have a program where I am with uh, one of the local universities where they do accept um, medical donations. And it is, there is an application process that needs to be done where we have to send them the medical. They have to get the person's medical history as well to see whether or not they they fit into what it is that they need at the time. Um, there are other cities that have similar programs with uh, their local universities as well, too. So it's not even it's not even me that makes the decision. It's, it's them. And there have been instances even where thin people are um, not accepted because of one reason or another. Mm. As to, yeah, as to why, I, I honestly haven't done one myself. Um, I'm usually pretty good passing them off to one of my colleagues, uh, which is fine because I get all the ship outs. So we're good. What does that mean? What's a ship out? Literally we ship, we repatriate somebody to another country. Oh, oh, interesting. So they can be buried in the country of their choice. Yeah. Oh, That's kind of my forte. Oh, that's so interesting. Huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my God. I like, again, I'm Which just like a wormhole to go no, down. I'm kidding. Okay. I'm like customs, declarations, like health stuff must be like, there must be so much there. Okay. Huh. It's a whole other bag of worms. <laughs> yeah. So if we, if, so if I wanted to donate my body to science, would I know if I'm eligible or not until I die? Like I would, I might say to the pre-planning director, Hey, these are my wishes. And they might say, well, we'll try it and see what you want if they refuse. Is that kind of how it goes? That's usually what happens is um, pre-planners, um, when they want to donate, it's then you pre-arrange for worst case scenario is that you aren't um, approved for donation and that we still have to, whether it's burial or whether it's cremation, usually it's cremation, then all of that is taken care of. So if you are accepted at the time, then we just change the arrangements a little bit and the family would actually get the additional money back. Mm, okay. Got it. Got it. So in terms of the money side of things, there's still, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Interesting. It would be, and most pre-planners that I work with uh, encourage families to reach out to the program, find out what the criteria are at the moment and go from there so if you qualify now so long as everything stays consistent chances are you'll probably be accepted when the time comes right okay interesting and then the other thing too is and i don't know maybe i don't i'm curious if you know about this too the other thing is like organ donation like on my license i'm like an organ donor so but again would i be excluded from that as a fat person um i don't believe so Usually, and this is just my limited experience with organ donation, is so long as you're healthy, 
Okay. Like, then the organ itself is healthy. and Exactly. So long as the organ itself is healthy, your body is healthy, and there isn't, like, signs of illness or disease, they're going to take everything that they, yeah, everything that they, you and your family have allowed. Just because organ donation is still so rare, unfortunately, um, that so long as you check off the boxes, your physical size doesn't matter. And we have had um, people, fat people come in who have been organ donors for one thing or another. So, okay. All right. That's good to know. All right. So I'm going to bank on organ donation (laughs) versus medical donation, it sounds like. (laughs) Well, you also have to remember organ donation is like... (sighs) If I'm in a hospital, right? Like died in a hospital. Dying in a hospital, but usually it's some kind of traumatic accident as a general rule. It's somebody who's gotten into a car accident and has survived, but their brain dead. Yeah. That's where, and that doesn't happen all that often. Right. And actually, in retrospect, maybe I don't want that to be my number one option. (laughs) (laughs) It's so interesting. And I can really see why, I mean, even just in this, as we're just kind of like, you know, just at the tip of the iceberg with this stuff, I'm like, wow, this is why it'd be so important to like talk to my husband about this stuff. And for him to like think about what he wants, like, yeah, we don't talk about this in our cultures. It's not, it's not just fat people or thin people. It's everybody. Absolutely everybody. You got to have these conversations with people, regardless of your body situation. Um, The amount of people that have come walking in and they're deer in headlights and have like, we've never had this conversation. It's like, well, uh, well, we're going to have them now. Um, (laughs) unfortunately we have to have them now, but having those conversations with your loved ones is important. Yeah. So do you have like a checklist? Like if you're like, here are the five to seven things you should be talking about with your loved ones. Like what, what is it? What should we be thinking about? Burial or cremation. I think that's the biggest one. Um, because Funeral, visitation, all that other stuff, that's all for the living. Right, right. That is all for the people who you've left behind. Yeah, it celebrates you, but its actual purpose is to help them process, help them mark the occasion and kind of start the grieving process. Um, But whether, like, if you feel strongly enough one way or another, burial or cremation, that is the number one thing to speak up about. Mm-hmm. because if they get it wrong <laughs> yeah do most people write this into their wills or is this something totally different totally different okay okay i also don't have a will i'm very not adulting right now apparently apparently cremation is the biggest one whether or not you want to have some kind of a funeral or service or even just a party um i've i've had some people over the years where their loved one was like you know, put me in a box, burn me, don't worry about it. And then they themselves struggle. Like they fulfill the wishes of their loved one. And then they struggle. Struggle In what way they're struggling with? With the grief, with the processing. Like they didn't, they don't feel like they had an opportunity to mark the occasion. And I'm either able to kind of change things at the time, or if it's, 
I've had it where it's the first parent that happens. So we're doing something for the second parent. And I'm like, you know what? Do it for both. Do it for both. And that way, you know, you kind of, you get that kind of sense of closure for both. Um, But yeah, that's, and it's a very big reason why people have a lot of compounded grief issues is they don't want their loved ones to spend the money or, or to do anything like that. And it's like, mm, but you have to. Cause what you're saying then is while that might be like, you might, the person before they've died, they've said, just throw me in a box. Don't, don't spend money. And they're doing it out of care for the people who they left behind. But then the people left behind feel like they missed out on like honoring and celebrating and the life of this person they loved. Wow. It's so complex. It is very, and it's, I I had this brainstorm a couple of years ago while dealing with this kind of a situation with a family. And I'm like, it's a very fine line that you have to walk between respecting their wishes and doing what you need to do. And it kind of hit us both at the same time. It was kind of like, whoa, that's really profound. And yeah. It's so true. Yeah. It's so true. And because I, I've even had personal instances where whether it was the person or the situation or COVID weren't able to do anything. And and you just kind of feel left, you know, like there's, there's a step missing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, and it's, that would be really hard. Yeah. Like when my, when my cousin died last year, I wasn't able to bring my kids for a variety of reasons. And, um, the oldest I've, I've felt, you know, there's been a couple of times where it's been, I feel like I kind of missed, missed a step with him, mm-hmm. but uh, luckily he's young <laughs> and, and you know, kids are resilient, but, um, but yeah, no, it's a, it's a big, uh, it's a big thing. And I feel like a lot of people don't put a lot of, it's not that they don't put a lot of thought into it. It's you're right. One, don't spend the money, but also two, if they're ill, they don't feel at their best. They don't feel like they look like themselves or they're acting like themselves. And yeah. Well, and and that made me think about like decisions around like open casket, closed casket, like all these different decisions that, yeah, that if people don't talk about the loved one who's organizing all of this has to just decide and not know. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. And they're in grief. Like that's a, that's a big messy situation. Absolutely. And trying to make these decisions when you're emotional. Oh yeah. It's, like the amount of times that I've had a family, they, they want to come in right away. You know, we got to meet, we got to make these arrangements. We got to get this done. It's like, hold on a second. No, no. You're going to take today. You're going to process. You're going to breathe. We'll regroup tomorrow or even the next day. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, we're, we're on a bit of a timeline, but no, no, you can take two seconds to just kind of breathe and take this all in and think a little bit. And I don't think I've had a family come back to me and be like, that was useless. No, all of them, all of them, because they come in the next morning or the next afternoon. And I'm like, did we get some sleep last night? Yeah, we got a little bit. Great. How you, are, are we feeling okay today? Yeah. Yeah. 
definitely feeling better today than yesterday. I'm like, <laughs> oh, I love that you bring that in. Like you're caretaking them through this process for sure. Oh, a hundred percent. You know, they, they walk in the door and we kind of, you know, take their hand metaphorically and walk them through this process, whether they've done it before or not. And, you know, it's the little things that you, you learn to pick up on or you, you know, the questions that you ask and, and whatnot. And it's, yeah, <laughs> it can be a lot sometimes, but you know, you can, you can have some fun with it as well too. Yeah. Yeah. So we have burial or cremation. We have, do you want like a funeral, a service, a party? Like, how do you want to be honored? What else do people need to be thinking and talking about to their loved ones? Those are really the big ones. Everything else is just kind of situational, inco- not inconsequential, but not as important. Um, you know, if uh, some people go as far as picking out like, their casket, their urn, the flowers, even some of the stationary items. Um, there's some things that I even suggest to families when I was doing some prearranging was leave some stuff for your family to do. Trust me. <laughs> you know, there there will be lulls in the arrangement where we need to fill in time. There's methods and madness. So <laughs> it's strategic. Um but yeah, the the burial cremation and then whether you want a service are the two big things. Okay. Yeah. Uh, okay. So everyone listening, <laughs> <laughs> that is your homework to have, even just start to think about these for yourself. Like I, I think I know what my answers are, but I don't, I, I'm just thinking like, yeah, I think I know what my answers are, but I definitely, I don't know if I've conveyed, I haven't conveyed them to my husband. And now when you're talking, cause I was, I'm kind of like the donate my body to science. Anyone can have an organ. Like I, I'm kind of, um, I don't know. Like I, I don't really care that much. So I'm like, funeral party, whatever. I don't care. Like, and so I've told my husband, just like cremate me, whatever's left over, cremate me and like scatter me in the ocean. But now you're, t- now I'm like, oh, maybe there should be like a celebration or like a funeral. And I definitely don't want a religious thing. Cause here's the other thing too. I imagine religious traditions come in. Like I was raised Greek Orthodox, but I'm not affiliated with the church in any way. It would, I, I would not want a typical Greek funeral. And well, and here's, here's the thing is if you wanted a traditional Greek funeral, or I've had this happen with Russian Orthodox, they bury, they don't cremate. I actually had a priest refuse to do prayers, flat out. If they choose to to do burial, I will happily come. Cremation, no. See, that's it. If What if I, yeah, see, what if I wanted a Greek funeral, but I didn't even know that piece? Huh, so many things to think about so many things to think about and yeah the religious aspect of it is is part of it as well too because the thing is you may not want a a religious funeral but your family might right right yeah so that's where you got to trust somebody or whoever it is that you're talking to who's going to be making these decisions you really need to convey especially when you throw some of the stuff like religion in there as well too um italians are 
the worst. When it comes to, <laughs> Sorry, Italians. <laughs> when it comes to some of the religious stuff, like the Greek Orthodox is pretty bad Italian. Yeah. Oh, totally worse. <laughs> uh, and, and I had a family where it was, the kids were my age and they just wanted to do a celebration life. They didn't want visitation. They didn't want to go to church. And finally I looked at the daughter and it was the same thing I said to my parents when I was getting married. I'm like, unless you're footing the pill, you don't get an opinion. <laughs> and she came up to me afterwards and she went, I told my aunt that exactly. <laughs> Shut her right up. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The person who's paying gets to decide. <laughs> Bingo. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Because that's the other part of this too, like the money part and the role that it plays as well. Because it's not, I I hadn't realized just how expensive funerals can be. Like, like average cost of a casket is what? Um, I'd say between three and 5,000. Right. And then if I needed an oversized one for my body. So here, this is the fun thing is here. We don't, at least the company I work for, we don't, we don't have a different price. There's no supersized price. That's lovely. There is a supersized price. <laughs> it, it is, you know what? It, the equivalent, whether it's a standard or whether it's an oversized are still the same. We cost. are inclusive when we die. <laughs> with, um, and I touched on this with, uh, with NAFA as well too. In some places in the States, they do have an extra charge, um, like a fat fee. For cremation. We don't have that in Ontario. That was one of my other questions too. Like, is that a consider? Okay. Cremation is cremation is cremation. Hello, it's Sophia. And I'm gently interrupting myself <laughs> to let you know that I secretly recorded video content with almost all of the first 55 guests of the Fat Joy podcast. And I'm releasing it to anyone who becomes a subscriber to my new Substack newsletter. So you want to know what each guest is scared of or what they'd put on a billboard or what they'd tell their younger self? Become a subscriber of the newsletter at fatjoy.substack.com and you can find out. You can become a subscriber for free. And if you'd like to help me keep making the podcast, you can become a paid subscriber for $5 a month. You're going to get access to the bonus videos either way, but paid subscribers will be getting additional bonus content on top of those videos. However you choose to become a subscriber, please know how grateful I am that you're here and supporting, bringing more fat joy into the world. Okay, back to the episode. Enjoy. Then this, this kind of falls on us is if it is an oversized container, will it fit into the chamber? Do we have to go to a different crematorium that can fit that size? Um, because I did once have a quadruple oversized like eons ago and there was one crematorium in the gta okay that could handle that size i was imagining something much more gory <laughs> what would be done with the body if it didn't fit <laughs> no no all, all of those all of those old wives tales are not true okay i'm like is it an episode of saw that we're talking about no no they just we find something that fits okay that i mean dignity right dignity yeah yeah or like somebody who is is super tall you know will will fold their legs or will bend their knees up 
in the the foot end of the casket. Like there are ways that we can. It's all smoke and mirrors for the most part, but um, it's all done with dignity, you know, to the best of our abilities. If it means getting an oversized just to fit height height wise, that's what we'll suggest. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So interesting. And then. So I just want to, I'm curious about costs, just again, even get as, as people are like starting to think through planning and even like conversations. So like if you do a visitation and a burial, so like keeping religion out of it, visitation at the funeral home and then a burial at a cemetery, what's that kind of average? Um, we usually, we like to start, with like low end what you're looking at for for a full traditional which would be visitation one day and a service or a gathering the next day um you're looking at minimum of eight thousand dollars that does not include cemetery cemetery is a whole other can of worms oh interesting yes so the cost of the grave the opening and closing the memorial that's all separate oh okay you could be looking at Fifteen to twenty thousand dollars, right? Because casket plus, you know, food and like there's stuff that people do at flowers, like all these other little accoutrements. Wow. Okay, so fifteen to twenty thousand is a good ballpark for kind of a That's basic. If you're, if you're buying cemetery as well, um, but uh... and cremation. How much is cremation? So. Depending on what you're doing with the cremator remains after, sometimes it is less expensive, sometimes it's not. Um, right off the top, um, it's going to be less expensive between, like, if you an average price casket versus like a cremation container, cremation fee, and maybe an urn. You're you're there's a little bit of a price difference. Um, not. I don't think it's huge. Mm-hmm. So still kind of like that three to 5,000 ballpark? Um, I'd say closer to probably two to three. Two to three. Okay. Ah, interesting. Yeah. Uh, depending on what urn you choose and what cremation container you choose. Because some people go with the basic low-end one, and some people find that's not dignified. They don't like the look of it. So we have other options. Right. Yeah. Huh. There's a lot of choices that a lot of people I don't think realize or appreciate is involved with. Until then you're in it. And it's like, here is a booklet of all the choices. Well, I will say even this is, I don't know if this, I don't know what's crass to say. Um, so I'm just going to say everything and we're just going to trust my best intentions. Because I was going to say when I had to say goodbye to my dog, like we had someone come, she had cancer. She, you know, we had to, say goodbye because she we did surgery blah 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 it didn't work anyway so basically she was at the end of her life and so we had someone come and come to the home and give her the needle put her to sleep and she went oh it's still hard I'm gonna tear up um this is my best girl and even just something really simple like that there were so many options of like what to do with the remains did I want a pop print in clay. Did I want the ashes? Did I, and I, I mean, it was, that felt overwhelming. So I can't even imagine the number of decisions. Cause I've been to funerals, but I've never like had to be the decision maker in any. So 
yeah, like how do you lead people through that? A lot of it starts with what we call the first call. So the first time that they call in to let us know that they that a death has occurred. Sometimes we are able to get some of that information on that first call. Um, it all depends on their state of mind. Some people are just way too emotional and it, I get like bare bones information and make the appointment. We'll deal with it later. Other times... Either it's prearranged and I can go grab the file and we can start talking about it. Or if I know that they're Italian, I can be like, okay, what church do you want to go to? Because I want to call them now and get that booked because you're going to want this in three days and we need to get moving. So, but if I haven't had that conversation, they come into the appointment, you know, I express my condolences to them. And then, you know, what do you want to do? What kind of conversations did you have? What were they like, you know, hobbies, stuff like that, um, and kind of go from there. You know, some people have an idea and they express that. Some people are like, we have no idea. It's like, okay, well, let's get some of the mundane stuff out of the way, all the information that I need to get in order to fill out the paperwork because it's mundane. And then we start looking at, you know, what they want to do. You know, are we burial? Are we cremation? Do they already have cemetery property? You know, what are they going to do afterwards? Um, But most people do come in and have some kind of an idea. Okay, that's good. Yeah, yeah. And so you lead them through that conversation, then you set up all the details, and it kind of goes from there. Yeah. So if we come back to this idea of what are the extra things that fat people might need to think about and might need to have conversations with their loved ones about there's the okay if someone dies at home whoever's calling you needs to convey that hey this is a fat person they're around this size this is where they are so you know so that you know to do to bring extra support we've already talked about medical donation and where that may or may not happen but again that feels like it's kind of can be dealt with like in the moment. Like if that's a wish that's expressed, that can be dealt with in the moment. So that's less, that's more just people knowing that that's what your wishes are. What else is important? Those are really the the big things. That's, I find a lot of people think that fat people are dealt with so differently and they're not, they're just people. A lot of the stuff that we have to do, any changes we have to make are all done behind the scenes whereas the family is privy to that and we only have a conversation with the family if it's a problem yeah like if we need to look at an oversized casket that's a conversation that we have at the time sometimes when it's preed especially if it's pre relatively close like within a few years to the passing an oversized casket's already been preed great if not okay here's your options for oversized because unfortunately not all caskets models come in oversized which is fine so yeah a lot of it is situational it comes up as as it comes up it's not it's not necessarily anything that you can plan for in advance the only thing is if you do like if you're ill 
and you do want to pass that home, those are the kind of things you need to let your family know. Like you said earlier, you know, let them know, like it is a bigger person, where in the house. You can even strategically plan. And I find the home health care nurses and whatnot are good at kind of arranging all of that as well, too. Like where in the house is the hospital bed going to be set up? You know, things like that. Because it's not just us that need to get in in the house. Theoretically, it might be paramedics. Right. Huh. Yeah, again, another thing I've never thought about. So like being on the thir- in the third floor attic <laughs> where I am right now with my office, I don't want to die here. <laughs> this would be bad. <laughs> yeah, no, no, please don't. Or the basement. Or the basement. Yeah. So we, we, have, a l- we have a little joke. Um, <laughs> Is this gallows humor? <laughs> yeah, content warning. <laughs> um, <laughs> we, we call it the trifecta of doom or the Bermuda Triangle. It's the bathroom between the tub, the toilet, and the sink. Oh. The amount of people that that pass away in the bathroom and somehow manage to get themselves wedged between two of those three items. Oh, no. It is. (sighs) And you want to talk about having to do a removal with dignity, trying to get somebody unwedged from that, like, Obviously, we try our best, but there comes a point where, yeah, where they've got to come out. Yeah, they've got to come out. We have to do whatever we can get them out. But uh, I have some friends. We look at house listings and we look at the bathroom specifically when we're bored. Yeah, yeah. When it's slow at work, we pull up realtor and look at bathrooms and be like, "Oh, that's a nightmare." Oh my god! So it's like you need. <laughs> Staircases as well, too. Oh, oh my gosh. Knock on wood. No, I have not had to deal with spiral staircase as of yet. <laughs> I would like to keep it that way. Oh my God. These are things we never think about. Like I, I had no idea that a lot of people die in their bathrooms. Mm-hmm. Huh. Yep. No. Not everybody is in a hospital or a nursing home. No, no. No, no I've... Yeah. And when we do get a new call and it isn't at home, we do try to ask where in the house are they, you know, what size they are. Um, If it's an unexpected death, usually it's the the police that are calling us on behalf of the family. So we can ask them those questions. Right. Um, Sometimes it is family calling us. And so we try to be as gentle with that as possible. But it's questions we need to ask. Right. Right. To be able to keep everybody safe. So. Yeah. And preserve that dignity too. Like you don't want, yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Wow. It's so, it's so much more complex than I realized. But now as you're talking about it, I'm like, oh, of course that makes sense. We need to know, yeah, where they are and what's happening. And did, yeah. Oh, wow. And as a licensed director, I do it all. I'm meeting with the families to make arrangements. I'm directing the services. But I'm also the one going to the house to do the the removal. I'm also the one doing the physical preparation in terms of the embalming and dressing and casketing and all that. Uh, Yeah. As a class one license, I do it all. Oh, I I did want to ask about that, about treating the body. Because it's very interesting. Some like the whole kind of open casket, closed casket, 
treating all that kind of thing. It, again, growing up Greek Orthodox, we traditionally do open casket. And I've been to funerals where that was not done. And so there's lots of variety here. But let's start with like, what is everyone content warning? I'm about to ask, what do you do with the body? If that does not feel good to listen to, you've probably turned us off by now. But what? Yeah, what what happens with a body? So when somebody is brought into our care, um, there's generally something that happens with with everybody. Um, so everybody gets an identification tag, typically around the ankle. Not the toe? I thought it was the toe. Not the toe. <laughs> no, come off the toe, can't come off the ankle. Or a wrist if there's no ankles. Why do movies always show the toe? So in hospitals, there is a toe tag. Oh, okay, okay. Maybe that's why. Okay, got it. Yeah. So the hospital tags, corner tags tend to go around the toe. That's why it's called the toe tag. <laughs> there is actual, yeah, it does go around the toe. That one, not ours. Ours has generally name, date, where removal happened from. And because we serve a few different of our chapels, which chapel? So everybody comes in, they're bathed. We, we do what we call set features. So we close our eyes, we close our mouth. Shave them if they need to be shaved. Would you take some of my chin stubble if they're if I wasn't able to pluck that day? Absolutely. Thank you. Okay, making Absolutely. sure. I, and and I do, especially with women or with female presenting. I usually will ask the family if there is some facial hair. I'm like, you want us to take care of that? They're like, yes, please. Give her one last wax. Just like take her off. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, we've plucked eyebrows. We've oh, good, good. Redyed hair, haircuts. Oh, really? Oh, yes. Oh. So, because we want you looking the best. Yeah. Really, that's yeah. really lovely. So the, so, the physical act of embalming. The definition that we get in college: it's the preservation, disinfection, and restoration of dead human remains for funeral purposes. Can't believe I still remember that. Yeah, I'm impressed. <laughs> it was like, what? That was like 20 years ago, right? Close. Yeah. <laughs> it was drilled into our heads so much. Um, but uh, we use the vascular system to inject uh, a preservation chemical, essentially. Um, that's <laughs> the very simplistic way of describing it. And then once everything is... We're done the embalming. Um, they're bathed again and then generally dressed, cosmetized, and then into their casket. How long does that take? What's that? Pro- how long does that process take? Uh, it all depends on pretty much everything. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. When, <laughs> when they pass, how long has it been since they've passed? Were they placed into a refrigeration unit or a cooler? Um, what they died of, was there an autopsy done or not? And sometimes physical size and condition of the vessels as well, too. Uh, my record for quickest, I'd say it was about 45 minutes. I've had some take all day. It's for one person. Uh, it all, it's all relative. It's all situational. This is fascinating. It's a very, it's, it's a medical procedure, like embalming. Um, it's very scientific. And for, for me, it's kind of soothing. I enjoy it. Mm-hmm. It's, um, I can just kind of turn off my brain and go. 
which is which is nice sometimes. Yeah. So, but it's um, it's the true um representation, I guess you can say, of of the art form, and it is an art form. Like there are so many variables that go into because we can change the concentration of the fluids. We have different types of fluids. We have different tints and dyes that we can use and then the cosmetizing on top of it. Do we have to restore anything? Like I've literally have redone somebody's eyebrow. Huh. Like recreated an eyebrow from hair, the whole nine yards. Whoa. I have covered up numerous, you know, scratches, road rash, holes whatnot oh yeah no it's do you have to ask family like hey this is what i would like to do or do you just get to be to like to do that i feel like that's i'm just trying to imagine that conversation hey you know your child had an accident may i reconstruct their face like ah with so we have to get permission to embalm okay yeah Full stop. Yeah. and and it's a signature um so sometimes there is a little bit more involved with the conversation than you know can we embalm? Because mm-hmm. they'll ask us, well, what is that and whatnot? If if it is a situation like that, we will ask. Mm. Or we or at least it tell them, you know, because of the accident or this, mm-hmm. that, or the other thing, you know, there's gonna be a few extra steps that we're gonna take in order to to mask it, to hide it, you know. Is that only for open casket or also for closed? Uh, also for clothes, because the thing is, is the casket's open for family. Oh, right. Okay. But they may close it for others. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. Wow. In situations like that, we are, um, very open with families in terms of, of that. I've had a couple of instances where I have flat out said to them, we're not going to confirm anything today in terms of dates and times. Um, I'm not going to be able to confirm or let you know whether or not we are going to be able to have an open casket or not. Can't tell you that until they come into our care and we physically see what we're dealing with. Because there are things that we can do. There are certain instances where there's not anything we can do. And those are the instances where you do need to walk the family through that with a gentle hand, but also being um, frank about the situation. So whether it was a car accident, um, hit by a train, various other, I'm sure you could fill in the blank in terms of situations where we'd need to have that conversation, but oh yeah. Hmm. Wow. Oh my gosh. And in the case of fat bodies, the embalming process, the cosmetizing process, like that's the same as regular bodies. There's nothing that fat people need to like convey or to their loved ones around that. Okay. Yeah. No, it may, it may take us, you know, a little bit of extra time. We may have to use extra fluid. Um, But honestly, there have been times where I've used two gallons on a fat person and then I had to use four on the skinny person next to them. Mm. It's all, it's all relative. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Oh my God. I'm so intrigued. And like, so this really is such a taboo conversation we're having. I just keep thinking, am I allowed to ask these questions? I'm asking them, but like, is this okay that I'm asking? But I, but we we need 
to talk about this more. It shouldn't be taboo. Exactly. We need to have these conversations. We we need to have death be not such a taboo topic. And and what we do not to be such a taboo topic. I've had conversations with my kids' teachers being, okay, I realize that death conversations happen differently in my house. So Oh yes. <laughs> yeah, like his their teachers and their childcare teachers and when they were in daycare, they all knew I was very upfront with what I did. And I'm like, it's not a taboo subject in our in our house. It's talked about openly. They've been around it since the day that they were born. Oh yeah. Oh my kids know what caskets look like and whether they're standing up in the garage for storage or whether they're in a room. Because I have taken them in when I've stopped by to finish setting up a room and it's been somebody else's loved one in there and they're like, Who's that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh I love that that's the way you're raising them to be comfortable with those conversations. Yeah. It's the way I was raised. Oh, okay. Death was never a taboo subject for me growing up. Um, there was one family funeral that my parents did not take us to. And as an adult, I know why and I appreciate why. But every other family funeral, we've gone to the point where my one cousin... I remember her calling our mutual grandmother going, Grandma, are you going to come to the funeral party? Because she was six and it was a party. Mm. That's beautiful. <laughs> I yeah. She's 22 and I still, still hug her up to this day. <laughs> the funeral the party. She wrote to our grandfather. Oh, yeah. so sweet. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, death, death was never a taboo subject in our family. I, I lovingly call us um, my big fat Irish Catholic family because that's exactly what we are. And they're a party. They are a party in, in our family. They're a celebration of the person, um, regardless of age. And it's never been a fucking subject. Is this why people weren't surprised that this was your career choice? <sighs> I think that might be part of it. <laughs> but I've always been... I, let's just say I've been called mother hen more than once. Um, growing up, I was, yeah. Yeah. It just, um, always kind of a helpful person walking people through the tough times in their lives. My one girlfriend, um, called me her, the voice of her conscience. Whenever I feel like I'm going to do something that I shouldn't be doing, it's your voice I hear in the back of my head going, don't do it. <laughs> Nice, nice. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I, I enjoy it. <laughs> so if we go back to the embalming, because I'm really curious yes. about that. So when that finishes, yeah. then the the remains are ready for the for the funeral party, basically. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So so we dress them in the clothing that their family brings. We place them in their casket and we set them up in the visitation suite or in the chapel or wherever it is that we are, we are going with said person. Hmm. So, yeah. Okay. When we, it was interesting when we spoke on the phone, you had mentioned, and this, I think this is probably the last, like kind of what's different for fat people, but I want to raise it. Cause I think it's so interesting is that there was a church that had a lot of stairs and a fat person had died. Yeah. Do you want to share? Like, cause I, again, I just think that's one of those things that perhaps the loved ones need 
to think about too. Yes. So most churches do have some kind of stairs going up into it. This one happens to be probably a floor and a half worth of stairs going from the street into the sanctuary. And no accessibility ramp or anything. Like there's no. no way. Okay. Yeah. Uh, accessibility ramp, which was fine for like walkers and wheelchairs, but to bring a casket in that way was impossible. It, it just feasible. It wasn't working. Wouldn't have worked. So we, we had an instance where um, they wanted to go to church. They wanted a casket with the body in it. And we were like, we can't do it because it's a safety issue going up all those stairs. If somebody loses their grip, if somebody falls, if, you know, you hear horror stories of the bottom falling out of the casket. I personally have not had that happen, but I know somebody who has. Oh, no. Yep. So, and and that was that was an instance where potentially having conversations beforehand might have helped just to prepare the rest of the family. You know, we tried to be as careful as we could explaining it because, you know, it can come off as fear being discriminatory. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to safety, yeah, that's... Because it's not just safety for us, it's safety for them, it's safety for the pallbearers, it's, sa- it's safety for everybody. Did end up coming up with a solution that worked for everybody. But um, but yeah, I, and, and I remember having this conversation with my colleague and was like, if, if it was, you know, X church or Y church with either two steps or no steps, it wouldn't have been an issue. Because we would have been able to take the casket right out of the back of the coach onto the truck and then in, mm-hmm. but caring for that far, yeah, it's just I'm gonna no, no, huh, no. And there's even there's even one church where you can't go up the sides because the turn is too sharp, so they actually have to lift the casket up over the railing. Oh, because the stairs are in like an L, kind of like this. Yeah, yeah. Oh, casket gotta go up. Over the railing. Oh my god. <laughs> yep. Oh, uh, like like furniture or something. It's it's yeah. Oh, we we do joke for the amount of furniture that we do move around the funeral home. That if any if any of us this career doesn't work out, we'd be great furniture movers. You could be movers. <laughs> oh my god. Moving couches, <laughs> chairs, stacking chairs, setting them up, taking them down. Oh my gosh. Oh gosh all over the place. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just really struck in this moment that um, like any other profession, there is humor to be had in what you do. And it's important. And it's just, it's, it's, you know, what I think is so interesting when I'm, again, what I'm just thinking about in this moment is like what we see as like the public going through a funeral process is very different. Like, this is your job. You should have fun at it. Just because I'm one of the mourners does not, like, but do you see, it's like almost like front front of house and back of house, right? Like, yes. Yeah. I, I also say, we also, I, I we have to suffer from multiple personality disorder in order to work in this business because the amount of different hats that we need to wear. Yeah. Because we have one hat that we wear when a family first comes in to make arrangements. We have another hat to wear when they're coming in for visitation. We have another one with our own family and friends, with our coworkers. 
Um, the hats also change depending on, excuse me, situation, the age of the person as well, too. Whew. The agility required is incredible. And you have to be able to pivot on the dime. Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing. And and when you come to, you know, humor as a coping mechanism, <laughs> um, we're, our sense of humor is right up there with like firefighters and cops and military and paramedics because the things that they see are the things that we see, you know, and it's, yeah, you gotta, you gotta have that humor with, you know, your coworkers. I'm, I'm lucky that I have family members who are cops and firefighters and I can have that kind of conversation with. Yeah. I'm so glad that you've got that. It'd be really hard not to be able to like, because you have to like let it go. You can't hold all of that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you have to be able to let it go. You need to have people who understand and can appreciate the situation that you're in that you can actually have those conversations with and unload in some ways as well too. Oh, totally, yeah. Well, and this brings us kind of perfectly into my final question, which is always around joy. So like this, the letting work be at work, the coming home, being connected to joy, choosing joy. Like, how do you do that? How do you personally do that for yourself? Some, some days it's hard to leave work at work. Um, I, I honestly find the entire job very rewarding. It's a thankless job. It's not very often that we do get that feedback from families. Um, which is fine. It's fine. You know what? They have so much other things on their mind, but just knowing that you walked them through this tough time, you know, you were their rock. You were the only constant in their life for the course of, you know, however long it was. And especially when they come back for whatever reason, you know, I, I have a love hate relationship with returning families. I love the fact that they're back and that they, you know, it shows that we did our job right the first time and they trust us. But I also hate the fact that they're back because now we've got to go through all of this again. It's, but that's the rewarding part is, you know, that you've done good, that you've, you know, been able to help them through. It's picking up on the little things as well, too. One family, she had mentioned that uh, they were golfers and uh, that he had gotten a hole in one at one point and had put into the notice what course it was and what hole. And so on the online obituary, the background photo was, I found a photo of that hole. Oh, you're going to make me cry. That's so beautiful. You did that. Uh, and and didn't tell them either. <laughs> I was going to say, did they notice? Did people notice? Uh, people did notice. Um, I think we were on the phone and I'm like, go look at the website. And, and I'm like, it's off to the left. Um, I had another one. I always bring this up with families just because uh, when it comes to setting up the space for visitation and for funeral, that's their space. Like my rules of thumb for bringing stuff in the funeral home, as long as I can fit through the door, doesn't damage anything and it's legal, we're good. <laughs> uh, the legal part comes up because most people is like, why do you add that in there? Had a gun collector. Oh, oh my, my colleague gosh. dealt with the family and they were gun collectors and like antique guns. 
So it's like, you can bring what you want day of one gun per person needs to be unloaded. Safety needs to be on. We are not touching it. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, uh, I had a family, they handed me the photo for the custom printing and it was him on his bike on his Harley. Do you still have the bike? Uh, Yeah. Cool. Can you get it here? (laughs) What? Well, they were going to take it out of winter storage and get it ready for the spring. I'm like, cool. Can they get it here? Amazing. Uh, uh, I suppose. Like, where are you going to put it? I said, visitation suite. What? I'm like, yeah. Open up the doors, walk it right in. It'll be fine. Oh. Really? I'm like, why not? Yeah. Why not? When I told my manager at the time, luckily he just hit me (laughs) and went, you're going to put something down on the carpet in case there's an oil spill, right? I'm like, well, yes, I'm not a complete moron. Thank you. (laughs) And that's exactly what we did. Yep. So I have photos of it that I show families just to give them, you know what? I'm not lying. We actually did this um, just to give you an idea. Sky's the limit. Yeah. Yeah. Sky's the limit. Whatever it is that you want to do. One, she had a craving for pickles. Loved pickles. Huge craving for pickles. They bought the Costco-sized jar of pickles and put it on the stand right beside the casket. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> pickles oh that's delightful and i bet it made people like laugh to see pickles like besides oh, yes oh my god yeah that's amazing yeah. wow but it's it's you know it's whatever you want to do i'm not here to say no if we can make something happen we're gonna make it happen yeah yeah i'm just noticing we we're totally talking about your job again <laughs> <laughs> Your job brings you so much joy. I totally, I can feel that. It's those, it's those little things, you know, it's helping families celebrate their person brings me joy. And I get these little stories, you know, (laughs) this one clergy I worked with, he wanted to write two books. One was all the things that ever went wrong (laughs) on funerals. And I can honestly say I would have been featured in at least five of them. (laughs) <laughs> to the point where when I went to his visitation, his wife, I walked up to his wife in my suit with my name tag. She looked at my name tag and she went, oh, so you're Adrian. <laughs> I don't know whether I should take this as a compliment or be scared. You know me by name and we've never met before. And she went, no, it's a good thing. I'm like, okay. <laughs> just, just, she just said shenanigans. And I went, okay. <laughs> yeah, we got into a lot of shenanigans. But the second book he wanted to write was of all the people that he had met, but didn't meet. Mm. Because you, you do, you get to meet a lot of really cool people without meeting them. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you're gonna make me cry again. Oh my (laughs) gosh. It's, there's so much beauty in what you're talking about. Yeah. I'm just really moved in this moment by how much care is given to us after we die. Yep. That's what we're here for. Yeah. Amazing. Adrian, this, I have learned so much today. I imagine everyone listening has learned so much today. Thank you for letting me ask ridiculous questions and just like, yeah, I, I'm really hoping this helps people be less taboo about these conversations and start to talk to their loved ones about it. And so we can be a little more, planful and able to honor the wishes of 
our loved ones. So I'm just, I'm so grateful for you. Thank you for being here and having this conversation with me. Thank you for having me. This is, it's, it's part of making it not taboo is having these conversations is, you know, delving into what, what I do, what we do um, outside of the funeral home, outside of the office making arrangements. It's helping to lift that veil, the stigma around what it is that I do. Yeah. Well, you are quite the ambassador. So thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Before we go, I'd like to read a poem because poetry can reach our hearts in a different way. Poems can have us feel in a different way. And that's what this podcast is all about. Expanding our hearts, deepening our empathy, and inviting in joy. So each week, you get a new poem. What a conversation with Adrienne. I've picked a sad and beautiful poem to share with you that was written by Lauren K. Aline for Faye Botham. The poem is called, How Could I Have Known I Would Need to Remember Your Laughter? How could I have known I would need to remember your laughter? The way it ricocheted, a boomerang flung from your throat, stilling the breathless air. How you were luminous in it, your smile, your hair tossed back, flaming, everyone around you a glow. How I wanted to live in it those times it ignited us into giggles, doubling us over, arching and unmoored for precious minutes from our twin scars, the thorned secrets our tongues learned too well to carry. It is impossible to imagine you gone, dear one, your laugh lost to some silence I can't breach, from which you will not return. Thank you for joining me today. My hope is that you're feeling a little less alone and a little more seen. So until the next episode, you can find me on Instagram at fatjoy.life, on YouTube at youtube.com slash at fatjoy, and on Substack at fatjoy.substack.com. And please do check out the episode notes for how you can connect with my amazing guest and for the links to the poem. All right, lovely. I am sending you off with my best wishes for an abundantly fat joy day. And we'll talk again soon.